I'm Sandra Champlain. I am the author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. I'll show you. That's it. Also, I am a podcast host of actually two podcasts. Back in 2014, I started We Don't Die Radio, which is now up to, gosh, it's close to 400 episodes, which is quite a bit. And then almost two years ago, I got asked by iHeartRadio to create a, a podcast through their network and it's called Shades of the Afterlife. So now I am approaching 93 episodes of that. A little different. We Don't Die Radio is just like we're doing it now, just talking to one person, whereas Shades of the Afterlife can be a bit of all kinds of subjects, uh, well, relied, related to the afterlife. And also um, there's some commercial breaks and things, but it gets to a larger audience and I'm so grateful. So I do that and then I run all kinds of online classes, psychic, mediumship, trance in the altered states. We do a weekly Sunday gathering, which is a non-denominational spiritual service. And at the end of each one, we have a mediumship demonstration. So it's free and it's wonderful. And um, yeah, I do as much as I can to share with people about the afterlife and also what's beneath all of that is to help people through grief. Cause that's, I think, predominantly why people look for this information. So that's a little tidbit about me. It sounds like you, um, you first mentioned, you, you, it sounds like you come at it from a similar direction to me from a skeptic to a, to a research. So, so how did you kind of shift from um, not believing or, or being a skeptic of this subject to believing, I imagine that there is some form of life after death? Um, it was kind of a long road. I woke up one day with a fear of dying and that's what started me on the journey back in the mid 90s and it just wouldn't go away and i know you know that fear and i know many other people know mm. that fear not being able to sleep at night thinking what happens and do do i go on is it just over and it had me really researching so many things and i came from a family that was kind of like you need to see it to believe it and there mm -hmm. were some really crazy people out in the world and there was a lady in our town that was a psychic and she was not very good and everything she said, nothing came true. So that just kind of was like, you know, kids don't pay any attention to that sort of thing. And the fear of dying really weighed me down so much that I had to look, I just had to look through religion and science and I dabbled in the alternative worlds of mediumship and EVP and so many different things. But I would say the, the moment that really made me say, hey, this is real, this is real, is when I took a course on mediumship. The medium teacher said, if you attend this class, you are a medium and I can show you that you can communicate with the deceased. And I spent way too much money to fly to California, across this country, very secretly, and I was in a group of maybe 15 people. And one of the first things that she did was explain how mediumship works, that it thinks people come through as if they're our imagination. And she didn't give us too much instruction, but she says, I just want everybody to do a, like a mock mediumship reading. So she says, everybody grab a partner. She says, one of you go first, she says, um, I want you to make up that there's a person standing behind your partner. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Could it be a grandparent, a parent? And just tell the story, whatever comes to you. And she says, normally there's a, a message as well that comes through. So with my imagination, I created behind this woman that there was a man standing there. And I just got this hunch that it would be grandfather on the mom's side. And I had my eyes closed as I was doing this. I saw a fishing boat. I heard Denmark. So I said, okay, it's your grandfather on your mom's side. He was a fisherman in Denmark. Oh, the name Jan came to me, you know, good name. Um, I said he uh, died of lung cancer because I saw this man just puffing one cigarette after another. And he had a big gap between his teeth and he had blonde hair, blue eyes and really bad skin, really wind burned and lots of cracks in it and things. Um, and then I just got the feeling that he was a really rough, tough father, and he never told his own daughter that he loved her, which would be this lady's mom. 
So I said, and the, the message is, you know, kind of pretending to be the medium. So I opened my eyes, Darren, just to say, okay, it's your turn. You go next. And this woman's just crying. Her grandfather's name was Jan. He was a fisherman in Denmark. He died of lung cancer. Everything was correct. Everything. And she said the, what she knew of her grandfather was that he was, it was tough love. He never said, I love you. And so it was the perfect message. And from being a skeptic, and certainly if mediumship was a real thing, you know, I wouldn't possess <laughs> the ability. And so that was the thing that first opened the door that said, you know what, there's something here. And I do think it's beginner's luck, so to speak. I think it's more than luck. I think it's a team on the spirit world just giving me a little taste of what's possible. Um, but then every time I tried to be the medium, when the pressure was on, it was as if I was making up things and I, I, I wasn't comfortable and free and using that imagination. So I was wrong just as many times as I was right. Hmm. So a lot of people that kind of research, or not really research, but that casually have an interest in this sort of thing are of the impression that mediumship is at best good luck, at worst kind of a scam, a cold reading exercise. What What do you think? Why do you think um, experiences like yours aren't, don't seem to be sufficient to, um, I suppose, to convince those who just won't, don't, don't believe in mediumship, because mediumship is certainly seen to be the least legitimate um, spiritual kind of thing in modern understanding of spirituality. Whenever you say mediumship, people immediately think scam artists. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I didn't come out to the public and tell anybody that I did this, because I had that feeling too. Doing research um, back in the 1800s, early 1900s, there was a different form of mediumship that took place called physical mediumship, which is a whole different world. And a lot of con artists came in and would pretend to be the voice of a loved one. You know, these seances were held. And so mediumship in general just got, got thrown away as, you know, con, scam. And the evidential mediumship started to arise in that time where the spirit world were coming through people's dreams and thoughts and using their imagination. And I know from the length of time I've been involved in this, I can count good mediums that I would trust to have a friend go to on one hand. Most mediums that are out in the world right now do something I think like, like I did nothing wrong with the course that I took, but the instructor gave me a document that said, okay, you're now a certified medium. You can go charge $150 an hour. And that's ridiculous. I didn't have the training. The best mediums in the world train for years. This is their profession. This is their, their life. And it's many, 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 many years before they work one-on-one -on -one with a person. So I think the quality of mediumship that we have in the world right now is poor. Most of it is very poor. We have a psychic sense that we all have, you know, we can pick up the vibes of another person. Mediumship is using our psychic nature, but instead of reading somebody alive, you're working with somebody who's deceased. The problem is many mediums I feel are working psychically so they can pick up on somebody, you know, what they're feeling. So it might not necessarily be their loved one coming in. I have witnessed some really great mediums that are so specific that there's not a skeptic alive that could say that they're making it up. I mean, any skeptic can find a way to say, oh, that can't be real. They must have found it on the internet. So I think there's plenty of people that just can't be convinced and we should never try to convince somebody. But when we're on our own spiritual journey and we start having these experiences ourselves, and for me, although I'm not a practicing medium, I haven't made that commitment that that's the path I wanna go. I certainly have taken enough courses that I have, you know, if I was working with you, say, um, there's feelings, say I was a grandmother in, in your life, 
but I could actually see different times that we shared together. I could actually feel the emotion of the love your grandmother had towards you, along with giving some specifics, not only things in the past, but like what I currently see you doing, I meaning your grandmother. So to experience things firsthand, and of course you and I have met and you know we've been on one interview together, um, but we aren't close enough that I feel that deep love, but all of a sudden now sharing shared memories and experiences and you know maybe what I saw you have for breakfast and having that deep love for you, there's no way of convincing me that that's not real. And then you have a number of these experiences and it's like, that's the real thing, but we can never ever, and I've done this, <laughs> try to push this on people and try to convince people you can't. There's, there's always going to be a battle and it's a personal journey. And I think when we do have the fear of dying or if we have a loved one who departs this earth or the older we get, we start asking these big questions. And then through our journeys, we can find out what's true for ourselves. Mm. And the kind of the subjective experiencing it for oneself is certainly very important for one's own kind of, I suppose, proof of uh, the legitimacy of mediumship. However, there are studies done for the more kind of scientifically made, like the Julie Byshell Winbridge Institute studies um, and others, but they, for some reason, don't seem to kind of hit hard on the scientific community. I remember um, speaking to a friend of mine who I haven't met many times, but he's a, he's a good guy, and I said to him, you know, have a look at these uh, scientific papers done on, on mediumship and he um he to quote him he said um i don't think mediumship and scientific are really two terms that can ever really go together because it's you know they're, they're all frauds and things so why do you think it is that studies like julie byshell and the Wimbledon institute studies why do you think they don't seem to hit home as much as say the uh, the randy challenges i like to bring up a lot which yeah, uh, I don't, certainly shows the very opposite i think you can find whatever you're looking for you know, for me, just saying that I, I could go on to be a medium, but my passion isn't there. Anything that we're looking for in this life, you can find. So, if, you know, <laughs> we all know negative people, right? They're going to find a problem in anything. And I'm not critiquing Julie's studies at all. Um, but the further you dig kind of into the... Uh, you know, the, far, the further you look, the more you find. And I had interviewed a physicist who has a very, very scientific mind. And through his investigations of going from, I don't believe in this, to, you know, I'm going to take a course in mediumship. And so he's an excellent medium. And he's also a man of science. And I had an interview with him that I couldn't even understand most of what he was saying. It just kind of went over because he was talking about the afterlife and energy and all that in a very scientific way. So I think the information's out there. Um, I mean, no different really than many people, including myself, thought near-death experiences was a natural part of the brain shutting down. And it wasn't until I let my ego go <laughs> and I really started to investigate. And when you take people that have never had vision, say, and can see during their near-death experience and accurately tell the things that are going on and so many other things that are happening, uh, you can no longer say it's just part of the brain shutting down. Mm. So anyways. Yeah, and as always, as I always say, now I can always think of a case for it being the brain shutting down or various phenomena in the brain during near-death experiences until you get the veridical perception. Yes, which is more the empirical side of things. Um, what are your thoughts on that kind of phenomena and, and the research done against that? Because the caveat or the you know the, the study that people always look to to say it doesn't happen is the Sampania study because of course there was no um, there was no hits during the controlled experiment that was done. So what do you think generally of the work done on, on um, veridical perception and that kind of response? Yeah, I, th I think it's fantastic, the positive response and the, all the stories that I've heard, because there is so much of it out there and people 
witnessing their own death or flatlining from outside of their body, actually seeing what's happening. Uh, one of these studies with someone who was blind actually witnessed her husband talking to the doctor, a pen dropping. The man went to grab the pen and give it back to the doctor, noticed that the doctor had two different color socks on, and he went out to the candy machine, the, the husband did, and got himself some M&Ms or whatever it was, and it was all accurate. The, you know, two different color socks, all those kind of things. And um, she never had vision, you know? She was blind all of her life. So things like that happen. And while if you're a hardcore skeptic and you really want to prove this wrong, you know, for yourself, you might come up with a some kind of an excuse. But, you know, to be honest, Darren, I no longer am trying to convince anybody of anything. So I don't get into some of those interviews that people are like, Sandra Champlain's on. Um, she's going to try to convince us that there's an afterlife, but we know, you know, there isn't. You know, I don't even bother. There's enough people that have children in the spirit world, lost the love of their life, have a parent who's passed or a sibling, deeply grieving. And it's not just near-death experiences and mediumship. There's, there's other reasons to believe and to get people, first, the grief information that I think is so critical, and then share what I know, share some good resources, and I think grief can crack people up inside kind of so that there's a spiritual growth to go on and to help people have their own experiences. So that's more what I'm into. Um, and there are plenty of pe pe people that are willing to listen and, you know, be skeptical, bounce this all in your own um, inner radar to see if it fits or if it doesn't. But there's always going to be people that say, no, not true. Do you find that um, sharing information about near-death experiences and the, the possibilities that someone's loved ones are still around them, do you find that that negates grief more than other kind of traditional grief therapies and things like that? I think it helps. But I did a grief workshop a couple of days ago with a lady who is a long time medium, her and her husband, long time mediums. They've both had very close people, even the family dog just departed. And in that moment, no matter what we know, it doesn't take the pain away. It does help to hear, whether it's from a medium or you have a great dream that is so real of your loved one, it, it does help. But I think the actual grieving process uh, is something that it needs to be understood. It needs to be the only way to the other side of grief is to go right through it. I think knowing the information about the afterlife and knowing what grief is all, all about, it can take someone a few years to grieve as opposed to 30 years. You know, there are people that can die inside literally when a loved one dies. There's a lot of people that choose to commit suicide because a loved one dies. And if I can get people, myself and others, the information about grief and why it has to hurt so bad and what's happening within the brain and our physiology and things, it helps give people tools to help move through it. But just knowing that there's an afterlife, it does help. But I don't think it can, you can't escape grief. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, the, the key thing about grief is is simply them not being there physically with you at the time, and that's it's it's I suppose it's it's um, evolutionarily built into us for that. You know, for, for why I don't know, you'd have to ask an evolutionary biologist, but it is certainly something that is necessary in our in our lives, and is in a way a good thing because it shows you that you have loved very strongly. It does it does the more we love. Mm. the more it hurts mm. i think we've that, all known it's that polarity that always exists yeah. in life unfortunately and it's not a nice thing but i think you know from a purely um theoretical point of view knowing that 
we will see them again and that they're not gone forever. They are gone for now out of our perception, but they're not gone. They're just out of our perception for now. Surely, theoretically speaking, that must alleviate a huge amount of grief. And I think this is where I struggle with people that say it's the finality or the, the finiteness of life that gives it gives it its meaning and that you know when you lose a loved one you shouldn't grieve because they've had the chance to live whereas many you know many sperm cells are just you know don't make it to the egg and that's hundreds of millions and we're so lucky that we've had the chance to live with someone who happened to make it um out of those billions of chances of whatever but even so you know they're still going to be gone and they've made an impact on your life to such a degree that you will experience that grief. And I think there's no more alleviating fact or belief than that they're not gone forever and we will see them again. Yeah, we will. And I just recorded episode 93 of Shades of the Afterlife. Of course, somebody might be watching this two years in the future, I know. Um, but it's a journey for people to actually close their eyes and reconnect with their loved one. And one of the things that I say is look, all this communication and psychic stuff, it all happens just like our imagination. So, so often we throw away a thought or a smell of somebody's cologne or grandma's chocolate chip cookies. You know, it's just, oh, it's just a memory, you know, just my imagination. And it's like, it, those are the little calling cards. And there's, first of all, it's mind boggling that we even exist, you know, human beings on this one little planet hurling around through an ever expanding universe, crazy. And as amazing as our outer universe is, our inner universe is just as crazy. When you get down to the atoms within us, all we are is vibrating energy. To me, that's mind blowing. So if that's possible, and it's possible that our mobile phones can connect anywhere around the world, picking up any information that exists thus far. Why can't we tap in the same way? You know, so it, you can't fight this battle too long without, you know, looking at the bigger picture and thinking, well, you know what, anything and actually everything is possible. And more than one form of energy can live at the same place at the same time, you know, um, energy can't be destroyed. All these things are scientific. It's the way it is. And what I did on this episode 93 is I give people different experiences of closing their eyes and imagining different things. And by the time you get to the very last segment, because each one kind of builds on each other, you're reunited with your loved one. And I listened to it the night before last, before I uploaded it to iHeartRadio, and I was crying. I felt my dad and saw him so clear that no one can tell me that's not him. No one, just that's the way it is. And another thing I had, I have people do in it is to imagine, imagine, that our loved one brings them into almost like a movie theater. And it's how our loved ones see us here on earth. And I have, well, I'll show it to you. You might have one. One of these great things called an Oculus, right? You got one? <laughs> so fantastic. Every morning I put this on. I do great, great exercises, you know, balloons come flying at me and I'm batting them and to music and it's great. But I thought our loved ones get to see us in a 3D way. They are, they can see us as if we have the Oculus on, you know, or the glasses. They can witness what's happening in our life. They can hear us. They're part of our world, but we're not aware of their world. So I think it's a world within a world. And someone recently had said, if you can look at your hand, right? And okay, here we are on earth. This is our energy, we're solid. But if you start waving your hand really, 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 really fast, it becomes almost invisible. And they said that 
if we can look at that as far as energy, we're a lower, denser form of energy and they vibrate a little faster where they are. And so when we can quiet our minds and have the loving intention to connect and quieting our mind is one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> and the more you try, the worse it gets. Some days are easier, but for them on their side to be able to slow down and through mediumship or doing a guided meditation of sorts, you know, it's kind of like you can meet in between. Now, is it really them? Is it all them? You know, I say it can start off being maybe 99% Sandra, 1% spirit world. But the more we practice and the more we are aware and in the present moment, the more signs you'll get, the more just aware you'll be. And in that present moment is not only where mediumship happens, it's where your gut instinct and the good psychic things happen. I mean, everybody has had some kind of a psychic experience. They have. They just... I, everyone has of some yeah. sort it is whether you recognize it for what it is or not correct yeah. correct or you know this gut instinct so as time goes on and as you know to have that experience to be able to be with your loved one would it heal someone's grief at that moment i think it would make people feel a whole lot better and give them that understanding that you know they're still around and you're going to see them again you know, you've heard it too, that there's no time on the other side, you mm. know, it, mm. you know, our lifetime here is just a blink of an eye to them. Yeah. And I suppose not just that you will see them again in time, but that you can actively work to communicate with them, you know, now really. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even holding a picture of your loved one and just keeping them alive, talking to them. There's inspired writing that you can do where if you get yourself in the present moment, and you start writing, even if you have questions, and all of a sudden these answers come back. Again, it could be 99% you, 1% them, but the more you practice, the more this relationship continues. There's a wonderful man called Stephen Simon who created the movie, What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. And he has that relationship with his wife. He feels her, he feels her love. There's times where she wants to talk and he writes and he says there's not a single person that's going to convince me that that's my imagination the heart just knows so that's possible mm -hmm. so what um do you do you find that your work with your podcast and the interview the guests you've had has kind of strengthened your belief in an afterlife or do you think that your experiences with mediumship and other phenomena personally have been the most influential to you Oh, it's all of the above. It really is. I still fall into the trap of being human. So when I wake up, I'm not Sandra, author, podcast person. I'm Sandra that looks in the mirror and it's getting older and oh, geez, all the things I have to do. I'm still very much human. And having interviews, being able to talk to great people like yourself, reading i still read and then weekly i'm on several of the courses that we have all of those things just really strengthen me and give me a good shot in the arm to keep on going and i get letters from e and uh, emails from listeners and from readers about the difference my work has made in their life i mean you've seen things under our youtube video um, when i interviewed you you know it makes a difference. And so all of that just keeps me fueled to go on. But I can't really say it's one or the other. I've had some pretty cool experiences. But also when I hear stories from just everyday people about what they've experienced, it just kind of opens up my thoughts. To, oh, my gosh, wow. I think with any kind of signs that people get, you have to listen to your heart. Because the mind is always going to tell you, it's not true. Now we have to be logical. I have a lot of birds around here, you know, so, uh, and there's some hawks. And unfortunately, I witnessed a hawk carry off one of the little birds the other day. I thought, oh, I love nature, but I don't need to see it. Now there were some feathers on the ground. So 
I could look at the feathers and say, oh my God, that's a sign. The afterlife mm -hmm. is real. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, you know, you live in the woods. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And those kind of things happen. Now, there are, there was a woman I spoke to whose son had passed. And the request was white feathers, mm -hmm. white feathers. That's quite a common one. Yeah. Yeah. But she would find them in her suitcase after she had packed mm -hmm. and arrived at her next destination. Now, you know, there are things like that, that uh, come on, you know, how, how can it be? And there's a friend of mine who is very skeptical as well. And he had a friend who passed and um, he said, all right, you know, I'd like some dimes. That's going to be the sign, you know? So he would start finding dimes, but he's like, you know what? I think my mind is really just looking for dimes now because it, whatever you focus on, you'll find. If you're going on a trip to Hawaii, you're going to start seeing Hawaiian shirts everywhere. It's just how we work. But he said he'd wake up and he was living alone. And he said, there'd be six dimes in the tub <laughs> or, you know, he sits at a, on a seat on an airplane. He gets up and there's a handful of dimes under his butt when he gets up. He's like, those dimes weren't there, you know? So that those kind of things help the person believe that the loved one is coming through. So our mind, Darren, is always going to be skeptical. I mean, I am skeptical first and you're probably the same way when you interview someone, there's always that ounce of, well, it sounds good, but it could be this, it could be that. It's just how we're designed as human beings. Mm. But it's certainly, that, it's certainly not a bad way to be. Not at all. But mm. that mind is also not always your best friend because how often does it make you feel guilty or tell you bad things about yourself and have you be afraid of things? I mean, if we don't, we wouldn't let any other person talk to us the way our minds talk to us. So you have to question whether everything it tells you is the truth. You need to run things against your feelings. The great mediums that I work with that are in our, that teach our weekly classes are Carrie McLeod and Philip Dykes. They are in England really wonderful people, but they say the way to pay attention to mediumship is through your belly, not through your mind. What does your, your belly, your gut, your stomach first feel like? And so any of these questions that we have for ourselves, and I know it's kind of a weird thing to say what's happening in my belly, but there's this knowing of whether it's could be real or could be BS, so to speak. So to really run it through your feelings as opposed to just what the mind says, because that mind is not always our friend, but it is not. Hmm. I'd be interested in having and looking up the, these two, especially if they're in England, I might shoot them a, a message and see if I can come by and have a look. Oh, they love it. Yeah, because mediumship is one of those things that, as you say, is inherent to all of us, if it's real, is inherent to all of us. And uh, it's just a case of developing it. And it's, you know, mediumship is something I'm especially skeptical of because, as you say, it is, if you learn cold reading, it is very easy to, to convincingly fake. Although we know there are genuine ones out there, not the people that you see on telly who will charge $650 an hour. Perhaps they may be, but that kind of price makes me especially skeptical of them. And yeah. you see, what, what do you think of um, those who do charge? a lot of money to to read it makes me very angry to be honest with you i know that we all need to put food on our table and pay the bills so just like doctors can't give away <laughs> medical treatment although there are overpriced doctors for sure there are mediums even over here that i've seen twelve hundred dollars for an hour and it's it's crazy i think I, actually, I know in the UK, there's a fraudulent mediums act. So people have to be on their best behavior. If you're going to be a medium, no giving, no predicting the future because no one can accurately tell the future. And 
what mediums must do, and I wish all mediums in the world would adopt this, is in the first 10 minutes, Darren, if either you, the sitter, doesn't feel a connection or that you're getting good information, or the medium themselves says, you know what, I'm not feeling it, because that happens. You know, it's like dialing in a channel on a radio. Sometimes that connection isn't there. But in the first 10 minutes, if either party says, you know, this isn't, this isn't for me, the money is returned to the person. And I love that. I think all mediums should adopt that. I think a medium reading, uh, there's mediums that will work with someone for an hour, but the folks that, and the students that we train, a half hour is really enough. You should be able to give detailed information, shared memories, and it's more than just factual evidence. The sitter should leave of really feeling that their loved one was there, you know, really getting the feelings. And, and you do, I mean, you, there's tears, there's love, there's joy. It's like, oh my gosh, they're really here. That should be part of a medium reading. And I've seen, there's one fellow over here who will remain nameless, but he's an excellent medium. He's been on TV. I've seen him live. And I've never seen anybody like this who has given out as much specific information. I mean, it was mind-blowing. But there was no feeling behind it. There was the six or eight people in the audience that got readings, but the other thousand people were left with, wow, their loved ones were, were there, but my, mine certainly aren't. You know, and everybody paid a hefty amount to go. So demonstrations of mediumship, everyone should feel the love of the spirit world, even though there's, you might not be the person that gets the reading. So I'm, I'm happy if, you know, at most, I would say, at most for an hour reading to be 150 to 200 American dollars, at most for a half hour reading, you know, half of that say, but in somewhere in that range. And I get that there's some people that are really accomplished and they might charge a little more, but have that code of ethics that if someone's not feeling it, that you give them their money back and it, you know, so anyways, I'm not, not a big fan of the people that are, are uh, charging a lot. And also there's so many spiritual people <laughs> that have no spirituality. It is about money. It is about the big ego. It is about fame. And, you know, that's, that's tough. I don't think mediums know that they can be better than they are. I think more training is always good, no matter what field you're in. Keep your foot in the door of training and things. I think that would be a good idea. So in terms of, I suppose, looking at near-death experiences, again, on the same kind of line of argument on charging people for these sort of things, um, one common retort against any near-death experiences is that um, I see it a lot, that have they written a book? Yes. Well, there's your motivation then. So what do you think of those who argue that if a near-death experiencer writes a book and are successful and as a result, you know, get speaking tours and, and a lot of income from their book is therefore, obviously they're motivated by money and it's, it's a fraudulent experience or a fraudulent claim. What do you think of that kind of retort? It depends on the person. There are some class A speakers that have had near-death experiences and they re remain the most humble, down-to-earth people that she'll ever meet. Their stories, because they do have a book and because they have been on big television shows or big stages, they get to a lot more people than maybe the little guy. So I think it's important to have some people out there like that because it gets people that have never heard of this interested. You know, somebody sees on some big television show and thought, oh, I didn't even know that was possible. And they start looking for themselves. I did an episode not too long ago that I found uh, it was a near-death experience that someone had had. And I looked below it on YouTube in the comment section. And it was chock full with people who have no books <laughs> that wanted to share their near-death experience 
or they wanted to share their story just before their loved one died, how all of a sudden their pets showed up. They're reaching up. They say, oh, you know, your dad's here, who's dead. I need to pack my bag, get my bag. He's here for me. There are so many stories that people write beneath these videos on YouTube about their own experiences. And if you don't want to believe someone who might have told their story one too many times and has the big book, do some research of just reading these stories because you'll think, oh my gosh, I mean, they're precious. So I had to do a whole episode just on these very short couple sentences sometimes that people wrote about what they witnessed either through near-death experience or when a loved one died. And the whole episode was just on maybe a fifth of the comments that were beneath one video. So there's lots of people who want to tell their story. They have no idea how to write a book or maybe it wasn't even a really big thing, but for them it was. It was enough to give them faith that we go on. And so many people with these uh, deathbed visitations, if you want to call it that, there's people that are deceased that they see that they didn't even know they had died because, you know, the family didn't want to upset them when they were in hospice to say, you know, your brother died. So they don't tell them, but they're, the brother's right there. And he's like, oh, Joe, you know, and he reaches out his hand and he's smiling. And next thing you know, he's gone. I mean, those stories are amazing. They are. Yeah. Peaking Darien experiences. So what other phenomena, apart from, um, we've mainly talked about near-death experiences and mediumship, what other kind of phenomena do you interview people about? And which of those do you find the most fascinating on your podcasts? Yeah, the top most fascinating right now is a gal named Sonia Rinaldi. She is- Oh, my, yes, I've, I've spoken with her. Yeah, she's my number one. We just uh, produced a movie on her. And her story is just precious. I mean, for Pat, over 30 years, She's been involved in this and her husband had passed and she had heard about people that record these electronic voice phenomena. She started very, yeah, uh, instrumental trance communication and just a lovely lady. And the time I had first heard of her was I think 2002 or 2005, somewhere back there when I was doing my research. And I always heard about this woman in Brazil who would, have a parent be with her and do a recording, have them talk as if the child was really there. And then when they played back the recording, the child's voice was there talking to the parent. And now she is recording uh, pictures and images of people in the afterlife. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. And one of the best gifts I ever got was I had, I've seen plenty of these pictures and I, you know, I'm, in awe, blown away. But I said to my dad, dad, if you can find this lady in Brazil and get your face, <laughs> however she does it, you know, on one of these, one of these uh, images. And she had never seen a picture of my dad. And she sent me a file of unknown people, you know, just nice people that come through, but we don't know who they are. And lo and behold, there was a picture of my dad, just like he looked in the Air Force. And I've got a picture similar but in the picture that she's got, the trans image, she's, he's looking off to the side and he's in his mid-20s. And dad passed when he was 74 and he was real sick and real old and tubes in him and all that stuff. And the picture that I have, you know, dad's looking straight at the camera. And when I asked her more about it, she actually sent me the, the film and it's only about 20 seconds. And you can see the the static that she's filming and then all the static kind of rearranges itself into my dad's face. And then there was another gentleman and then it disappears. And when my aunt looked at it, she's like, that's not only my brother, but that's my uncle. You know, she recognized the other guy. And I, you know, it's just, it's amazing. So I love hearing stories about that. I, I've had plenty of, my own experience recording electronic voice phenomena that I know it's real, but I also know that our minds can make up that certain sounds sound like a word, you know, so I'm, I'm hesitant on that. If you get a very loud, clear that everybody can understand and hear, you know, that's one thing. 
so I love those kind of that kind of topic because it's something that you know I don't really know too much about. And then on Fridays, I work with a gentleman who's a trance medium, and I, you know, I really didn't know about the world of physical and trance mediumship until I, you know, ventured across the pond there and um, went to what was called the Banyan Retreat Center, and they're no longer a retreat center, but the guys still do a lot of things online, which is wonderful. But I saw this gentleman, Scott Milligan, and he had his eyes closed. I really wasn't sure what was happening. And a few songs were played and I got a good taste of Scott's personality. He's just a fun, loving, great guy. And then after the few songs played out of his mouth, this other voice came out. And it's a man that had lived in past the end of the 1800s named uh, Eric Johnston. And he would answer any question about anything, never missing a beat, all with pure love, filled with comfort, filled with inspiration. And I got goosebumps, you know, experiencing this. And I thought, there's no way this guy is making this up. You know, it didn't cost very much money to go to this retreat. I mean, there's, there's just no reason there this would be a scam. Well, when COVID hit in March of 2020, myself, Scott, Carrie, and Phil, I mean, we were all left without incomes. I lost my catering business that I had for over 30 years. So we had to think quick just so we could, you know, pay the bills. And so we started doing things online, these different courses. Well, every Friday we have a donation only. People can come for free if they'd like, but Scott Milligan will lead us into what's called sitting for healing. So we can send healing thoughts out and receive the same time. And everybody's got their eyes closed. Well, he'll keep his eyes closed and listen to the music. And next thing you know, out will come the booming voice of this Eric. And every Friday for the past now almost two and a half years, I've been the moderator talking to Eric. People will ask their questions in the Zoom room and I will unmute them so they can ask directly. And we have had the most mind-blowingly wonderful conversations about life, death, the afterlife, how things work, you know, being human, this gentleman never misses a beat, Darren. Never, 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 never. He says he works with a team of people. So it's his voice that just re represents many. And he talks about life and the afterlife and helping people through grief. And it's, it's, ama it's amazing, you know? So yeah, the skeptic can totally say that, you know, um, it's just this guy putting on the voice, but you know, why would anybody do this for free for so long? Uh, you know, like he gets nothing out of doing any kind of con. And as in any relationship, when you get to know somebody, you know, I, I spend an hour and a half every Friday with talking to this Eric <laughs> and um, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. It's amazing. So I find so much comfort on a weekly basis by attending the Fridays. Sundays, we've got our free Sunday gathering, which there's so much inspiration and music videos. And there's always a topic that is motivating. And then at the end, there's a medium demonstration. So you can actually witness people. And if maybe even you, you know, you get a reading that your loved ones are around and everyone in the audience feels that, you know, their loved ones come and it, there's specific information too. It's not this uh, grandmother, she died, she liked to bake cookies, you know, no, 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 no. It's gotta be specific or it doesn't work. So I'm, I'm really happy with being me and being able to experience all this because it just makes me want to share and keep doing my interviews and my podcasts because you never know who's listening and you never know that one person that the words are going to make a difference for some of your listeners and viewers might listen to my stuff. They may not, you know, um, some people want things more detailed than maybe I offer maybe who knows, but I can get the ball rolling. I can get people interested and if people are really interested in ITC or EVP or mediumship or deathbed visitations or whatever that may be, I could just maybe introduce them to it. And then, you know, it's for each one of us to go research these things for ourselves, whatever you're passionate about to get your own answers.
I would just say for anyone who's interested in the afterlife because you've had a loved one pass, um, I offer a free copy of my book because not very few people talk about grief and they talk, they can talk about what you're going to experience, why it has to hurt so bad. I mean, our brain chemistry changes. We lose a lot of healthy neurotransmitters that run our system. And so there can be anger and uncontrollable tears and loss of memory and really weird communications with loved ones and people seeing things from different ways and a lot of fighting and um, really can be some deep dark depression you can be in a brain that never stays quiet and you know start thinking you're better off not being here i mean there's a whole world of things that happen during grief because of an unhealthy brain and your brain is trying to readjust itself to a new reality so I give some tools like being in the present moment, being outside, talking to other people, journaling. There's so much more exercise, different things that we can do to, to help our system become whole again. So if anyone wants a copy of my book, if you go to wedontdie.com, you click on the store page, find the audiobook, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. It's down midway. Use coupon code FREE. You can either listen chapter by chapter or there's a PDF in there also that you can read the book. I think it's important to understand what it is you're feeling, what is going through. And then, yes, by all means, come listen to a podcast or come join our Sunday gathering. Um, you know, I'll give you everything that I've got to let you know that your loved ones are still around. So I think that would be it. OK, brilliant. So where, where can people find you and contact you if they have any questions? We don't die.com is the website, and then I am Sandra Champlain at gmail.com.